0: Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, and Father Nagel is going to lead us with the scripture reading and a prayer.
1: Well, since this is, uh, we're going to focus on land, we'll go back to Ash Wednesday and uh, uh, reading from that mass. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20-6.2. through 6, 2. We are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were appealing through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Working together then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I heard you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is a very acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So let this day, Lord, uh, truly be yours, I ask you to bless this sacred time for all those here who are listening, and for Tom and Father Lewis, myself, all of us, that this might be that time of conversion that you have planned for us and hold out to us in this joyous season of Lent. And so we ask these things through Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Nagel. All right, so today we've got a wide-ranging conversation about the reality of Lent, and Fathers, I want to uh, just launch right in and just ask you, um, have you have you come to a sense of finality regarding what you're going to be doing for Lent? I'm looking at Father Lewis, and he's got a little deer-in-the-headlights look going on here, just a little bit. I think he's going to make some stuff up. So, uh, yeah. so well, do you have a sense of uh, – do you do the natural – like when you approach Lent, is your approach, okay, what am I doing for prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, or do you do something different?
2: Um, well, I, I give something up and then I take something on is how I put it. And um, the putting something on, um, I think I do generally pretty good with almsgiving anyway, as far as my, my budget will allow and, and not break the bank. But, um, but prayer, I can always find ways to enrich it or grow in it. Um, so two of the hallmarks um, that I've chosen this year is I, I find myself like um, re- going to the internet just to pass the time. Uh, whether it's news articles or whatever, and not making more productive use of that in between time, between things, um, has creeped back in. So to try to curb that, I've allowed allowed myself the Internet only before noon each day. And afternoon, like, that's it. And um, that way I can check my emails. I can, you know, check the news and see what's going on. But to balance that with what I'm taking on, I've also noticed what had begun as a good resolve at my parish. We have a good prayer chain ministry and I've asked to be on the email, the flock note for for that, all the prayer chain needs. And I was good about stopping what I was doing in the moment when I get that email or that text and to pray for whatever that request is. But that has also slipped as well. And so to be more diligent about that, so much so that I've asked my parish secretary to to call me out on it, to check in, to be my accountability partner. Like she'll send it out and then she'll poke her in and say, did you pray for that one yet? <laughs> I'm like, not yet, but I'm doing it now. Pull out my rosary and go for it. Um, so those are, and then there's the usual suspects that I cause. I'm giving up movies and music, and some of the foods that I like, those kind of things. Um, but these are the ones that will help me to ch- be challenged and grow. I think in a in a, in a way that will stretch me and mean I think make me better. So
0: nice. Yeah. I've got more to ask you, but I want to ask yeah. Father Nagel next. So,
1: well, you know, I I've said before, and I think maybe even last last week. That there are some Lent fanatics who just love Lent, and I said I wasn't one of them. Um, one of the first things I said I said I'm not going to complain about Lent, um, and it worked in the sense that I have a different different attitude this year. I'm I'm really pro Lent right now. Um, not that I, I I'm always pro Lent, but I just this comes easier sometimes than others, and I recognized. There's been real slippage and like regression in terms of some things in terms of the aesthetic life in my life. So this is a well-timed season, as I suppose it always is. So there's some things I always do, um, and I don't expect to to uh, have them uh, last past Lent. Some of the fasting, you know, again typical sort of sweets and meats and. And one thing I saw really sneaking in I was snacking all the time between meals, so I'm kind of try to try to work on that too, and just saying, yeah, well, just eat meals. And so that, but the, I've I've gotten lazy on some of those things, so I think that's just the basic things um, that everybody does, or at least thinks they're of doing. I, I'm I'm seriously trying this this year. I always do special spiritual reading. I do Lenten books, and so um, I have. I have two on my shelf that and I that, I haven't started them yet. Again, we're re- recording just the day after Ash Wednesday, but it's now time. One of them is um, I Want to See God by Father... Oh, is it the trap? No, he's a Carmelite. Uh, Marie Eugene. He's It's a mid-20th century book, but it's a great synthesis of the Carmelite spirituality. I think it's a good thing for me to reread. Um, and then I'm also reading a... Um, a, a church history book by Daniel Ropes, I think is uh, his last oh, name. Oh yeah, and yeah, he it's has
0: like a twenty volume. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. starting with
1: the first volume, the the Are ancient really? church, and it maybe go through, through the whole thing. Um, I'll have to see. I've never read anything by him yet, so I but I want to go through the apostolic church. He has a like a three hundred page book on the apostolic right. church, so um, that's going to be part of my reading too, and then. You know, one for my alms. I like Father Lewis, I I do give monetary alms to you know, according to my scale of of uh, of salary, etc. But um, I was challenged to also give time. So some alms, and it's visiting some visiting some people. So it's kind of got like retired, homebound people. Um, not in my parish necessarily, but people I have friendships or relationships with and say go out there and visit them a certain number of times during Lent, Just make sure I get out there instead of donating some time because for me, frankly, time's harder than money to come by. And so that that was an almsgiving of a sort that I'm doing. Um, some certain people that I have to visit twice uh, twice a month during Lent and things like that. So that's some of the things that I'm doing this year.
0: So I want to bring up a a theme, because if I look at my Lent, it's connected to, uh, I think the one word that connects me to the various aspects of it is the word solidarity. Now, on the one hand, Lent is about us being in solidarity with Christ, right, entering into the desert, or even in solidarity with God's chosen people in the Exodus, right? So those are the two fundamental movements that I connect to in terms of my own personal journey, but this year, my emphasis has been on um, not only that idea that I'm in solidarity with Christ, and that Christ actually wants to shine through me into the world, right? That's the Second Corinthians 5. Mm-hmm. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is appealing through us, and somehow all of our Lenten stuff is connected to that goal. But also to um, my family, I feel a stronger sense, I think I have in the past, but a maybe a heightened sensitivity to the way in which my Lenten journey is a cover for and an inspiration for their Lenten journey. Whether or not they know what I'm doing, if I'm making sort of rigorous acts of renunciation and self denial and picking up my cross, it's going to, if you will, clear the path for them to be able to do their own Lenten acts of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, their acts of self-denial and renunciation. And uh, day one in, I'm feeling like it's, yeah, it's working. <laughs> um, it, we uh, It was a really interesting uh, evening night prayer we had. But then also um, that sense of um, solidarity with the wider church as well, that uh, I feel a stronger sense of connection to um, in, in maybe this is the theme of my year, those souls that are near to death, but far from God, they still are just deep on my heart. And then I feel like the Lord is giving me a sense of solidarity with, um, saints. So the one particular, uh, she's not a saint, but, uh, her name is, uh, she's mother Marie of Jesus. She was the prioress of the Carmelite, uh, convent in Dijon, France. Oh. during the time that saint blessed elizabeth of the trinity was there and so you might think how in the world did you ever discover her i'll tell you in a minute if you're interested but that theme of solidarity that all the things that i'm engaged in in lent i'm not doing in a way that's about me it's about christ it's about my family it's about the wider church it's about connecting with the saint um did how does that strike you father louis
2: um, it's like, you know, solidarity is a is a great word, and and um, I like it a lot because um, the idea that, uh, well, when people hear solidarity, they might think uh, solidarity of the poor, and that's an aspect of why we should give alms. But what came to mind for me was when you said solidarity with Christ was, you know, going out into the desert with him, climbing up on the cross with him, but but being in prayer with him Yeah, hey, I didn't say finger.
0: climbing up on the cross
2: with him right <laughs> oh. I, I could
0: be there at the cross oh. looking at him <laughs> on the cross Man, I, I wasn't climbing up on the cross That's
2: just my holy musings then I Yeah thought.
0: that's very <laughs> poetically challenging yeah. so but please continue <laughs> yeah. but
2: uh, you know could you not stay awake with me for one hour as he was praying in the garden and hence we get the idea of the devotion of the holy hour and that's where my mind went and as I'm trying to think of like you know growing in my own prayer I might I might preach it and try to encourage people to find solidarity with Christ or their closeness with Christ in that setting, but I you know like you're saying, if I can hold on to my disciplines or my devotions, you know maybe that can be uh an outward radiating inspiration for those around me and if i'm if I'm preaching it, I better be doing it so it's it's kind of uh it's convicting I need to be in in my own way uh in solidarity with Christ in that sense
0: mm-hmm. How about you father nagel
1: yeah i I do think the idea of it's not about me. I think that's a that's a good insight for Lent. I think because I think it can be, it can become and, and even in negative ways, like, oh no, I failed again. I'm poor me. I, you know, I, I made these resolutions and I didn't do it. That means I'm weak. And it's all caught up in just me and how my spiritual relationship with Jesus and just my own self understanding can get caught up as opposed to, no, this is something I can offer for others and therefore it's about other people. It's not it's not really about me. But there is that whole I mean the charitable gift and donation of our lent to others, uh, for others. I think that I think it's important. That's a I think a powerful um uh, idea, a way of thinking about it, such that it it also not only would keep us from being too self referential, but also um it's a motivator. Because um, it's easier to quit on ourselves than it is to quit on our family, I think or again God or the church or all these the saints you're talking about I think the idea that you know' I'm, I'm doing this for other people and with other people is powerful
0: yeah I I think that's a guy thing right? mm-hmm. I think that guys in particular when when I think of what is it that's going to inspire a man right it's a uh, uh, you know the the cutesy story of uh you know the the priest who says, Okay, come on now. I want to invite you all to come at five in the morning. We're going to meet up because we're going to grow in our spiritual lives. And none of the guys show up. But then the priest says, "All right, hey, I want you to gather at five o'clock because we are going to put together a plan and an execution, execute a strategy to take back the streets for God. And we're going to protect our families against any harms and dangers that are coming at them. Your young daughters and sons are going to be protected." And the guys come running up to say, "I'm going to bring my gun, right?" <laughs> And all of a sudden, they're there. They're there at five in the morning, ready to go. If it's for them to dance in the fields with the Lord, they're they're not showing up. But if they're there to take back the ground the enemy is attempting to take and to put up a hedge of defense against the, the threatening forces that are coming against their families, that means something. That, yeah. that moves men because uh, I think that's part of the... You know the feminine genius. This is part of the 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 masculine uh, greatness. Yeah. Uh, is that sense of sacrificing your life for the sake of others? You agree, Father? Totally.
2: And the episode that came to mind is you know, when uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned um, back in June. Um, I had some mild fears, like what kind of retaliation are we going to suffer at the parishes, and I thought, what are they going to do to St. Mary's and Spokane Valley the cathedral's got to worry about more about that. But nonetheless, you know, shared those concerns with some of our um, some of the men of our young adult group. And I just mentioned the concern and they're taking up the charge. And I literally had one guy with a legal licensed underarm, you know, a small gun. arm. Uh, you know, they took shifts two guys at a time through the night just to patrol the grounds and keep an eye on things. And, and one brought a gun I'm like, well, oh, but well, that, that's good. <laughs> I forgot to warn the school secretary. So she got alerts about the motion cameras in this church, you know, and she sees a guy with a gun. She's freaking right out. I said, oh, don't worry about it. Here's the story. But uh, I think you're right. I didn't even have to literally call to arms. I didn't have to do that. And, and yet they literally came to arms. There's something about, like you say, the, the masculine greatness that wants to step up and be counted, but not for our own sake, but because the self-sacrifice for others is just it's like natural to our to our makeup.
0: Yes, this is
1: like the, the protective gene, so to speak. Um, we're protectors at at our best, you know. That that can go sideways and, and backwards, but it, it, when it's, when we're who we're supposed to be, we protect um, not only our own but uh, all those who are weak um, or, or vulnerable. Things that's how we're supposed to be.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's. Um, I think that this is one of those insights that again, men don't. I, I'll speak to fathers don't appreciate. Sufficiently with regards to protecting their children. And um, and I, I always use the three lead, provide, protect, right? That's priest prophet kings. Lead, provide, protect. Lead is can be guide, provide, protect in, in your spiritual fathers. But for instance, in, in our home, when we were talking about the, the things we're giving up, my kids, one of the challenges was: hey kids, we're not buying any more sugar. So sugar's going away for Lent. And so there's some left in the house. But once you get through that, it's all gone. And so one of the impacts was my kids, several of my kids like to make cups of tea. It's actually cups of really sweet, sweet colored Syrupy. water. That's what
1: I love too. I'm yeah. with them. I'm completely <laughs> with them. That's what I drink every day.
0: Do you have that foamer, these milk foamers? No, these I don't do like, that. Mine's just tea and really sugar. are really popular now. And they're so dangerous. Because I've, dr- I've drunk like black coffee for years. And then Kerry got this foamer. And it's so dangerous because it foams up all the milk, and then you put that in, then it's like, well, you can't just have foam milk coffee. You might as well throw in some sugar to make it Now you're getting a foo-foo drink.
1: Yeah, that's what I like. So,
0: so that's gone away. Oh. Um, no, the, the foamer is still there, but it's I'm not accessing it. But my kids, I said to my kids, look, if you're going to I'm asking you to um, go easy on how much half and half you're foaming up for your tea, and cut back on the sugar that you're doing to a, a much smaller amount. And they, these are my little kids, my 10-year-old, my 12-year-old, my 13-year-old. And if I'm asking them to do that, what can I do? So I am I give up coffee. Now, that's folks, that's heroic. <laughs> now, I lost all my merit because I said it out loud. <laughs> but I didn't do it for myself. I didn't do it for me. I did it for my kids. Like, if I'm asking you to take a step forward and... Do something that's difficult for you. I'm going to do something that's even harder for me. I'm going to do an even more difficult task, and I do that on your behalf. I do that for your sake. I do that in your place so that you can have an easier time living out your Lenten commitment to make that sacrifice. So that's sort of a, let's call it a manly approach to Lent, is it's not even about me at all. It's about them. Oh yeah, by the way, it'll have a good effect on me. It's actually having a terrible effect on me, (laughs) but it's supposedly in theory, it's going to have a good effect on me at some point down the road. So uh, fathers, I want you to reflect on that with me in a minute. We're up against our first break on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho... Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. We're talking about solidarity in Lent and leading the way through um, making sacrifices on behalf of your kids uh, or spiritual fathers on behalf of your uh, your your uh, parish family, your parishioners. I, I, I know Father Nagel. You and I we've talked about, and I think Father Lewis, you've been there before in the Catechism, where it talks about the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. That one of the Fruits or effects of the sacrament comes about through the priest who does penance for his penitence. Mm -hmm. I I love bringing that one up to the the priest. Just kind of just stick that one right back out there. (laughs) Maybe a good one to hear during Lent. What do you think, Father Lewis?
2: I was just actually thinking about that. And I I wondered if that idea came from... um, I thought I thought I heard this story like that of Saint John Vianney that right. every assign, every penance he would assign he would also do it. You know, really? I think I've read that somewhere.
0: Holy cow! How did he keep track?
2: Well, <laughs> well, I know you know maybe he gave the same penance and so yeah. when, he, when he wasn't hearing confessions and signing penances, you know my standard penance is a decade of the rosary with like a particular intention. So if he did something like that, then when he's not hearing confessions, he's walking around all day doing his other things, working the beads as it were, praying, praying, and I. I, I might have had, I might have that wrong. I'm not even sure the right saint, but I've heard this idea before. I thought it came from a saint, and so it worked its way into the catechism, and uh, that's pretty convicting because I'm, I'm not doing that. I mean, I know I should, and I, I want to, but I know I'm just not there. We'll hold right you there.
0: accountable, Father. Yeah, <laughs> please do. yeah, Please do. <laughs> well,
1: I, my, uh, my memory of Saint John Vianney in, uh, in that was that he, he, he did, he did give light penances. And when somebody called him on that, or one of the penitents, he's, he or somebody asked him about that. Why don't you give harder penances? He said, "Well, I do the rest myself." Um, so his, you know, he, he he was a pretty penitential man in terms of his sleep and in terms of his food and in terms of everything. And he sort of let it out of the bag there that some of that, you know, one of the reasons he did that was it was penance for his penitence uh, that they would not do that he would do for them. I I hadn't heard that it was you know a literal. You know, doing mirroring the penance he gave, but it was just that he was he was doing most of it uh, for them.
2: Yeah. Now to mention it, that that's that is the story I've heard too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is that he would do the harder part of the penances he would assign, still harder than what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I do think it's a good thing though to to remember. I think for all, especially uh, parish priests, especially parish pastors, I think it's a great spirituality in thinking. Uh, and not just during Lent. I mean, this—you know—to uh, what extent are you doing penance for your parishers, uh, parishioners? Um, and when we complain about them not, you know, stepping up enough or volunteering enough or coming to mass enough or whatever it is, we kind of grumble about. Um, I think it'd probably be a good comeback is, "Okay, Father, what are you doing about that in terms of your penance? Um, what are you doing rather than just talking to them? Why don't you talk to God about that and and uh, offer something up yourself?"
0: I worked for, when I left the seminary, I started working for the church. I was living in a, a men's household community and um, working for a parish as a director of evangelization. And the pastor, um, he was very visionary and a supremely hard worker, and uh, but a very, very prayerful man. Uh, and he he said to me that um, that his way of looking at leadership was if I was going to ask someone to take two steps forward i had to be willing to go four or five steps forward in terms of you know doing more so that they would do something better mm-hmm. and and so that showed up as i'll get there first i'm going to be the last one to leave and i'm going to do the most humble work mm-hmm. the the work that no one else is going to want to do i'm going to ask for that work i'm going to seek out that work and it, it was it was truly inspiring it really was it was it was humbling and inspiring to have a priest like that lead the way and so he was leading the way for me and then expecting me to lead the way for others and so it was um it was it, it really did make a big difference that that idea of um the priest providing a um, an inspiring model for um how it is i wanted to live my life so i think that um I think this is a great time for us to focus on the priests today. I think this is sort of where the, where the Lord is leading us. I don't know, fathers. Well, at least who are you leading us? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that the Holy Spirit or is yeah, that yeah, me?
1: Well, some spirit.
0: <laughs> okay, so mentioning reading. I, I want to get to the saints. I want to talk about uh, do you, do you, uh, what do you think about the idea of calling upon a saint to accompany you through Lent? So, we read a book together in the book club called The Book of All Saints. Do you mm. remember that book, Father? I do. Louis was probably before so. your time. I
1: think it was before Father Louis.
0: Okay, so this is a book. It's um, I think it's it's by it's Adrian von Speyer. Mm-hmm. She is the um, she was the mystic who was the sort spiritual companion to Hans Urs von Balthasar. He was her spiritual director, and the book of All Saints are these profiles of the prayer lives of uh, a number of saints, maybe 150 different saints. And other holy men and women down from from uh, Joseph, the apostles, all the way down, you know, to the to modern times. And the thing that is distinctive about it is that it's from the inside, meaning here is the experience of this saint's prayer. Here is how they're praying. Here is how their spiritual life developed. And that was one of the mystical gifts that. Adrian von Speyer received was that she, out of obedience, would be able to be drawn into the inside of the spiritual, the act of prayer of, and the spiritual life of pick a saint: Saint Philip Neri, Saint Thomas Aquinas, Saint Teresa of Avila, and and then she would report on it. She would speak about what was this person was experiencing. Do you remember that book, Father Nagel?
1: I do. I, I not not in great detail, but I do remember it.
0: So one of the things that um, I took from it was that I found a particular person, this this Mother Mary of Jesus, this prioress of the uh, convent, the Carmelite convent, Discalced Carmelite convent in Dijon, France in the late 1800s. Um, her prayer life was like mine. I mean, it was just like, holy cow. The, 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 the themes, the notes, the, 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 some of the key words, some of the aspects of how this, Now she wasn't a saint and she didn't have any mystical experiences. So I'm giving all that away. I don't have any of that stuff going on, but, um, the way that she prayed, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so much like me. And they were so different from each other. That was one of the things that when you read the different profiles for the mm-hmm. different saints or holy men and women, they were so unique. And it was just like, wow, you got to see in some ways just how big God is and how each saint is so unique. And you think someone can't make up 150 unique things like that. It really, it speaks of a sense of authenticity connected to it. Well, for me, I took from that sense of, wow, I find such resonance with her. I'm going to ask her to intercede for me. So This book just kind of stumbled back onto my pile of books, and I was like, hey, wait a minute, what about that woman? And so I opened it back up, and I'm like, wow, she's supposed to be with me this Lent. Hmm. So that idea of solidarity with heaven, not only with Christ, but with a saint from heaven to be interceding for me. Now, here's the great thing. No one's thinking about Marie of Jesus. So I got her all to myself. Right. <laughs> now that I've said it on the radio, a bunch of other folks are going to start asking Mother Marie of Jesus for their inter- her right. intercession.
1: She's going to have less time for you.
2: Dang.
0: Just, <laughs> is that the way it works? Is that uh, the way it
1: works? Uh, Let's just uh, assume she's outside of time and can do yeah.
0: everything. <laughs> let's assume that she's big enough to be able to handle more than one person like me asking for some prayers. Um, Father Nagel, I'll start with you. Is there a particular saint uh, that you feel connected with in a special way during Lent, or is that part of your own Lenten spirituality, or does something like that bubble up to the surface for you?
1: Uh, no, it I really hasn't. I, I would say that's not been something I have done in the past, and this year I, as well. I, not to say it's not a, a good idea. I, the, the, the form it would probably take for me is if I discovered again you made a little discovery there god presented it to you if i were to discover some new writer or saint or a blessed or thing that oh i want to read his or her writings um then it might i I might sense that but it's not something i seek out or that i've really explicitly uh, made part of my Lent.
2: how about you father lewis well actually i not a not a patron saint of my lenten journey but um at the beginning of my priesthood, even in, in toward the end of my time in seminary, I looked upon Saint Anthony of the Desert as sort of like a, what I call a, per, a patron saint of my personal suffering, <laughs> and um, because in Lent, because Lent, a Lent, a uh, you know, a huge aspect of that is self-imposed suffering. That's the fasting and the so on, and um, and that's what that's what he embraced. He, he heard the gospel call to give up his riches and to not worry about tomorrow, and so he provided for his sister, and then he took off in the desert. A very self-imposed um, form of ascetical suffering, and, um, and in seminary, um, maybe it was a book recommended to me by my spiritual director, or maybe I just found it. But I read the life of Saint Anthony by Saint Athanasius, and it was just a pretty inspiring book to me, um, and just a just a radical call to answer the call of Christ. Uh, you know, a radical lifestyle that he embraced. I thought, I don't know if I could do all of that when I'm, you know, discerning the diocesan priesthood. But what can I take from that? And and really help ask for you know his intercession to continue to inspire me to to uh, suffer well, to look for ways to to suffer if I perceive I'm not suffering enough. These kinds of things. And so uh, I guess by extension, you know, his feast day is January 17th each year, so it's usually within a month of the start of Lent anyway. So I'm still you know he's still in my mind when we enter into Lent and every year on his feast day, uh, you know, he, he just is uh, reminded of it, it. It reminds me again of that of that. Uh, Kind of personal patronage I've asked of him.
0: Mm -hmm. Nice. So when I think about um, Lent, uh, one of the other traditions that lots of folks will undertake is to focus on a particular virtue they want to grow in or a vice that they want to tackle, like a sin they want to address. Sometimes that gets extended out through the whole year, but sometimes that's also a point of focus for Lent. So that's something that um, we're doing in this house we're attacking the vice of effeminacia. How about that? Wow. Oh. Effeminacy. Yeah, it's um it's not talked about a lot in the in the Summa Theologica. It's only showing up as one particular vice that um is contrary to the virtue of perseverance. Mm. And so Lent involves a tremendous amount of perseverance and effeminacia, you've heard of it. Mm. It's a uh, it's the vice of preferring softness and ease, right? Rather than um, the willingness to undertake a difficult path to realize a difficult good when it's no longer comfortable or pleasant or pleasurable to do so. And so I talked about it with my kids and said, we are gonna tackle effeminacy. And the, what's one of the roots of it? It's um, it's uh, screens. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. screens are va via, gone away. um, for, for Lent so that we can tackle effeminacy.
2: Wow. All screens.
0: Um, so the kids do have like, um, we don't play video games, TV's gone. Um, they don't have, they don't have phones. Um, and John Mark does have one for texting only and for like directions. Um, and then they only have, um, what's it called? Uh, John Luke has an iPod. And so it's just for texting. Okay. The only game he had on it was um, chess. So he chess has gone away. Okay. So the one that it's hardest for, the, or for really carrying me, um, mm. other than the TV part, we're the ones that would access more of the, the smartphones for uh, softness, uh, go, gone away. So you're giving up so your
1: smartphone for Lent.
0: I, I've given, like I deleted YouTube. YouTube was where I would watch um, chess games Mm. Um, or, uh, other stupid videos, but I, I, I've also sacrificed, uh, I used to listen to a lot of homilies mm. and, and mm. so those are all gone now. There's um, only
2: one preacher you need to listen to these days, Tom.
0: <laughs> but I can't live stream your thing anymore. Oh, right? Dang. Where's your podcast? If you had a podcast then I could listen to it. Um, yeah, so we got rid of, um, um, uh, we committed to get rid of all screens. So. I do use it just for work purposes. Mm-hmm. So that's the only time I'm on now is just for work purposes, not for um, uh, in between. But it's hard because it, it's what you said, Father Lewis. It's um, when I'm done with the strict work, oh, look at that tab. Why don't I just open a new tab and go to the Drudge Report and see whatever or go to whatever news source or whatever other um, you know, ESPN or stuff like that. Uh, it's it. You know, none of it's really sinful, but it's still a way, It's the sin of waste, yeah. is what it is. It's not a good stewardship of time. So, um, but that's us. So we're we're battling against a sin, um, in order to grow in the the virtue we're trying to grow in is magnanimity. To grow in that desire to extend ourselves to do something great for God. Mm-hmm. So, what about you, Father Lewis? Is there a uh that 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 approach of saying? you know, uh, is there a virtue I'm supposed to chase after? Is there a vice I'm supposed to attack? You already talked a bit about that idea of waste, Mm -hmm. right?
2: Well, and I mentioned also, I I try to give something up for Lent, but at the same time, balance it with something to take on. And what I'm taking on is being more diligent with um, our prayer chain ministry. But, but, you know, the larger issue is to grow in the, um, just to make it more and more a second nature for me to, in the moment, intercede for someone in need. And not just to be satisfied with sure I will pray for you, but let's pray right now. And um, and so I'm hoping that responding in the now with our prayer chain requests will help me to grow in that. Um, there's probably all kinds of virtues that touch on that, but that's the activity and that's an important role I feel for me as a pastor. This is you know the spiritual need is is you know you lead, provide and protect. Uh, providing them with with uh, a spiritual uh, nourishment and protecting them with my own. Sp- spiritual intercession, my spiritual endeavors. Um, so two aspects of, of the three that you mentioned for good fatherhood. Um, and so I, I think it's working. I've been attentive to that for a while, but to make that really a heightened focus for Lent is is going to be good for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Father Nagel. I do think
1: this Lent, what I'm focusing on is it's nothing super deep or unusual. It's uh, I think probably temperance would be the virtue that I would be looking at. I Mentioned earlier, I just think that I've gotten slack and lazy in terms of eating and drinking. And you mentioned, uh, the I don't know what it was, Father uh,
0: well, Nigel. You do realize you're talking to Father Lewis and me, uh-huh. all right, about eating and drinking too much. So that's <laughs> we're we're you're just going to make us feel convicted, okay? <laughs> well, so, that's but I'm continue. I, again, my lens
1: is for others, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think I just noticed myself. There's been a regression. I used to do different. I used to do less of that. I used to be more disciplined about that. So I do, and I just even you know we you're talking about making that special kind of coffee or whatever you whatever the what was the flower or what, what was the um, machine that you oh the uh,
0: frother the, the, f- milk the frother.
1: frother oh the frother. Well, I've seen myself spend more time in like these coffee shops. Just in my downtime reading with some sort of as you you called it, a foo foo drink. Um, all of that, I think I just need to tighten up. I said, well, you know, I, there's just a, a real regression towards pleasing my own desires. So nothing, again, well, is it sinful? No, probably not. But it is also an attachment, as John Cross would, would call it. Um, and so I think it just need to get more simplified in terms of Basic things like eating, drinking. Sometimes, yeah. Again, you talked about media. I I like the experience. Uh, I'm less tech, high high tech. I like a newspaper, reading a newspaper. Really? Do they still make those? Yeah, they do. (laughs) It's a beautiful experience. Uh, And and so I also recognize, you know, spending some, maybe spending too much time on this, Um, reading stories. I don't want just because I kind of like this pleasure of you know you know data input. Um, about the world, so yeah, again, I think temperance would be something that I would land on in terms of what what I plan on doing for land Always kind of resol- revolves around that.
0: That's that's great. Uh, temperance is connected to perseverance.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I see the connection there too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I um, uh, we're actually up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you fathers about spiritual fathers that have been an inspiration to you. Uh, who are the priests in your life who have led, provided, and protected you, in a way that made you say, "I, I, I'm drawn to that." That's something that would be very powerful for me as well. Back in a minute with more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran, and uh, today we're putting the good fathers under the spotlight as a very Lenten thing to do. They don't mind being drawn with. Must Christ. be Lent all year.
1: I'm offering off it up. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Good sorry. point, Father Lewis.
2: <laughs>
0: All right, we're going to kind of quickly shift the conversation here. Hey, we actually have a a, um, a book club coming up.
1: Yes, n- next week, uh, isn't it?
0: Next week. Next week is our book club edition of uh, of our of Sound Insight. That's exciting. The first
1: one in about a year, I think.
0: Yeah, it's been a, been a while. Yeah, we got we got convicted. It's a, another Lenten conviction. Yeah. Um, Father Nigel, you've started the book. I have. Yeah, it, I'm sorry. I, the, the, I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember the exact name of it. God's Battalions. God's Battalions. God's Battalions. And it's really a, it's a, it's a Protestant author writing about the, um, the Crusades yeah. and understanding like what's the historical roots of the Crusades. Let's talk about the different, uh, Crusades that happened. Let's talk about the, um, uh, motivating sources. Let's talk about the outcomes. And, um.
2: Well, it's, it's subtitled the case for the Crusades. So trying to address a lot of the falsehoods and myths that have, uh, pervaded in the century since, and the, and it's I've started it too. It's um, anyway we won't talk about it there, but
0: no, but it's it's great yeah. in terms of like a Catholic apologetics, yeah. which I know yeah. Father Lewis, you're really big into, you know, just to help fortify kids, young people, and adults, frankly, um, regarding a lot of the myths that are out there that somehow the Catholic Church is, is a great evil institution, and one of the greatest examples of that are the Crusades, yeah. uh, is the Crusade. So um, that. Um, being able to address that from a Protestant author standpoint is really cool. Yeah. And, and I love, Father Nagel, that we get the historian in the room to be able to make sure that this guy's not writing uh, in a devotional, ha- ha- hagiographical form or, or somehow anti-Catholic spirit, but shows a, a real sense of the, the science of, of being a historian. Um, so the accuracy there, but also the, the gift that that can be.
1: Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's, at least for me, it's a fairly easy read because it's a very accessible history, but it's interesting. There's um, certainly things that uh, I'm learning about it, uh, but I, I do agree that I, I look forward to just talking about putting these things, you know, again, these attacks or whatever, into a historical context isn't really important.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice. So, uh, folks, we encourage you to uh, tune in next week for that. We're going to get through every page of that book, oh, not yeah. even a question. <laughs> My guess is that it might actually turn into a two-session. a two session, Yeah, that could uh, count
1: for two book clubs. See, that way we're be looking better.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's not very Lenten-like of you. So <laughs> we should cover two books next oh, okay. week. All right. All right. But actually, if the conversation does go the way I think it does, because um, there, it's not all repetitive, that's the thing, as they look no. at the different... Like these different themes that I just brought out, um, it, it's not like it's um, a straight line. And just here are the top ten points, and you're done. There's so much to cover there. Um, anyways, let's let's come back to to this program. It's the beginning of Lent, folks. We really want you to be blessed by the gift of Lent. And one of the themes that is really showing up in our conversation today, is solidarity, and that means that we're connected with others, that there's a sense of communication and communion with others, that there's a way that we impact others. And focusing on the theme of fatherhood, there's a way in which we all have a call, but in a very special way, fathers, and in particular today, we're talking about spiritual fathers, priests, are called to be priest, prophet, and king, lead, provide, and protect their people. And so, fathers, we've talked a bit about how you're doing that this Lent, I want to talk about the priests in your life that have been for you a leader, provider, or protector in your own life of faith in a way that you found encouraging, inspiring, supportive, um, and that maybe moved you towards that sense of a call, a vocation.
2: Okay. Well, as one can imagine, several priests come to mind, but I'll, I'll mention our, our currently, he's our vicar general for our diocese, Father Darren Connell, and when he was our vocation director, first of all, when he was first ordained a priest, he was assigned to my home parish. And that's where I f- first got to know him. I was only in uh, fifth or sixth grade, I think, at the time. Um, but just his uh, willingness to be present to us, that's what stuck out to me. He tra- he personally trained the altar servers um, uh, and then retrained us. You know, it was all kind of a new way to recruit guys. But he made it into a bigger event to, I guess, build, you know, community and such. And so remember very distinctly, like we had – pizza waiting for us. And then we spent a couple hours afterwards, uh, just playing baseball in the backfield. And he was, uh, the all time, all around, uh, pitcher. So he was always pitching and we took turns hitting and so on. And, um, and that's just a, such, such a simple thing. And I mentioned that to him and he doesn't even remember that, but, um, but it's, st- it stuck to me that he's willing to spend time with us and, um,
0: and money on the pizza
2: and, and yeah, we didn't have to pay for pizza. <laughs> yeah. That was a bonus for me. And uh, so there was that. But then when he became our vocation director for the diocese, that is, um, he was already vocation director for six years or maybe seven by the time I applied for seminary. And as vocation directors are oftentimes, I suspect, called upon to do to go to bat for their seminarians um, and maybe even save their vocations. (laughs) And uh, when I was maybe getting sideways with the seminary faculty in, in theology,
0: what you meant by save their vocations? Yeah. Okay, this is what you mean to advocate. Okay, advocate. Wow.
2: And uh, he would, he would just, he dro- did. For there were four of us in my class, and for three of us, he dropped what he was doing, got on the plane, and he was there that night what? or the next day. To Are sit- you serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to sit down with us to find you must out. Must have
0: really done something bad.
2: Well, I guess so. You, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs>
0: But this is I, Lent. Cut, yeah. bring it out into the open fire. Yeah,
2: but I never, I never noticed that or observed that. In, in the other guys in other dioceses, that their vocation directors would would do that. That's amazing. And maybe that does mean that we were just more troublesome. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but he did do that. And um and that and also to save our vocation, as in, if a guy is starting to wonder, like he's he's first year, second year theologian, he's starting to wonder, I don't know if this is my vocation. He would sit down with them and say, tell you what, let's work out a plan for a pastoral year. Now pastoral years are pretty, at least in our diocese, they weren't regular. Now they're being regularized. And so he saved a couple of guys' vocations that way uh, by putting them in a parish. This is the life that you can look forward to on the other side of seminary. Seminary is not the end-all be-all of all this. And uh, at least with two of our guys, that, that did save their vocation. And they're, they're some of our best priests, I think, and working in our diocese right now. Um, and so, yeah, he just, and it wasn't just for me he did that, but, but all the guys, you know, that's really
0: powerful because it shows trust. Like he didn't have to try to control what was going on in their lives. Like, no, no, stick it out, figure it out, work it out. You'll get through it. Press on instead. It's like, no, 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 you need some space, but let's put you in a safe space where you can actually continue discerning, but in a different mode, you're not on the conveyor belt. That's very powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had the opposite experience. <laughs> it was cardinal law. Ooh. So you remember cardinal law, yeah. right? The cardinal archbishop of Boston. And I was in Rome and I was saying, look, I, I'm not convinced that I'm called to be celibate. Can I, I, I feel like I would be best served if I could go work in a parish alongside priests, see what that life is like. I'll live in community with other men and I can pursue the, the concept of celibacy, but outside of that conveyor belt. And he said, "That's a bad idea. Don't do that." He said, "Just go forward, get ordained, and you'll figure it out and work it out." As, you... and I just felt like I was a number. Yeah. And he just wanted the control. Mm. So I've never said that before on the radio. Wow, look what you brought out of me, Father. Mm. That is so interesting, <laughs> Father Nagel.
1: You know, just my own story. I I didn't really, I I didn't have a really serious relationship with Christ or the church growing up in the sense that. Um, yeah, this is no slam against the priests of my uh, boyhood parishes or anything, but I didn't really have any relationship with them, and I, I didn't really discern a vocation until my late mid to late twenties. I think if you're looking, if I was looking at uh, role models or mentors or whatever uh, the word you want to use, I think with at the seminary itself, um, there was a uh, he was a he just died less than a year ago, um, uh, Father Pat Boyle. He was a moral theologian at Mundelein. Colorful character, didn't always get along with the administration necessarily, but a very holy priest. And um, and we did have we did have a relationship in the sense of that he would offer private mass. Not private. There'd be a few people there on early on every day. Actually, I think it was at six six thirty or something. And if for whatever reason you're traveling or whatever, you might go drop in on his mass if you couldn't make the 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 main seminary mass Saturday. Again, we'd had, I'd go to mass there. We'd go out to breakfast afterwards and just the two of us usually, sometimes somebody else. But again, there was a very personal uh, relationship in the sense of he was, again, just very dedicated uh, spiritual director and, um, very faithful, you know, in, in times when it's not always easy. And so, he you know, again, he kind of stood out there. Um, seminaries can be kind of strange sometimes when, you know, you know, um, where, again, there's politics or something else is going on there. And, and he was, again, he was never the center of anything. He was just kind of this um, kind of guy they put up with. But he was, a, I think, deeply prayerful and, uh, and also very intelligent uh, priest that was of that I did have a personal relationship with.
0: That's awesome. Uh, it's amazing, folks, uh, to realize the, the gift that priests are in our lives to help us uh, grow in faith, to live our faith well, and to recognize that sense of we have a spiritual father a covering. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. And fathers, we have about six minutes left in the program. Okay. Oh. I want each of you to, uh, would you, would you, not <laughs> I want would you uh, share with folks who are still trying to figure out what to do this Lent? Okay. So Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday. Here we are. It's now Monday afterwards. And they might, some there are some folks right now who are discouraged because they took on too much and they crashed and they feel like a failure right now. Others who felt like, what have I done? I've kind of missed it. Now, is it too late to get started? Let's talk to those two types of situations, and for those who are maybe trying to figure out, okay, I've started in, but I I don't maybe feel like this is that hard. Well, maybe what can I do to up my game? So those are three situations. Pick a situation, Father Lewis. All right. Who do you want to talk to?
2: I want to talk to folks that uh, that get discouraged and then maybe are tempted to give up uh, because for whatever reason they try to take on too much or whatever. I've been thinking about this. more really, since the beginning of the program that, you know, Lent is another invitation to embrace a new start. But the church and our liturgical year is filled with all kinds of opportunities for a new start. Advent starts the liturgical year. Then we have the new year calendar year. And, uh, but really, every time we go to confession, new start. Well, really, every time we go to the church and, and bless ourselves with holy water, it's supposed to remind us of the graces of baptism and, and therefore, in its own way, a new start. So it's never too late to start again. You you drop the ball. It's like, you know, if you're playing basketball and you you commit a foul or something like that, it's like oh, that's it. I'll never be a good basketball player. And you just walk out of the gym. That's ridiculous. You pick up the pieces and you go and you go on. And um and so, you know, maybe that's invitation. To, okay, did I take on too much? Maybe I can scale things back. Or okay, I just had a bad day. I got easily distracted. Find ways to not let that happen again. Sticky notes on the bathroom mirrors to get ready for the day or whatever. But to give up as if, well, I blew it. I'll just wait again till next year. You know, each day offers us a new start to try to keep on the journey and be in and, and be strengthened as a disciple of Jesus.
0: Nice, Brother Nagel. You can uh, talk to that person, or you can uh, take one of the other two folks. I,
1: I would talk about the person who maybe thought, well, I've missed it, and what's you know, or or hasn't here it is. It's been a few days and I kind of forgot Lent happened. You know, I, I just kind of, I haven't taken it seriously enough now. What is it? What, what should I do? I do think it's easy to put down, um, sort of the, what we're just talking about, just the, the orarium or the regular rule of Lent for people who becomes legalistic or or whatever. And it can lead to, you know, feelings of lack of self-worth because we fail or things. But I think the flip side is they're very important. I think because I think everybody should have disciplines, uh, spiritual disciplines in their lives, and, and Lent is one of the times to either re up on that or to reinforce. But you don't, we don't become holy without some spiritual disciplines: reading, prayer, fasting, um, these sort of things. We have to have one if we're going to. It's not, it is not holiness itself, but it's a necessary means to it that there's some intentionality and there's some order and discipline in our spiritual lives. That Sometimes we just think, well, we're just going to go with the flow and I'm just going to let the Spirit lead me or whatever we tell ourselves. But the Spirit wants us to pray in some sort of regular fashion, in some sort of um, organized way. So I think there's a beauty there in just the that basic structure and expectation of length that people do say, what am I going to do? Not recognize that, well, you're thinking about doing some sort of spiritual uh, regime. And that's a good thing. And that at least should last past Lent. Now, the details, yeah, they can, that can change for Lent. But the fact that there's that I have to think about plan and carry out and fulfill expectations in these areas, that's something that should always be there. And that can grow. Uh, we can fail sometimes, but use self-discipline in your spiritual life. Um, regularly. Well,
0: and I like that. That's sort of uh, the um, the idea of responding to the grace of Lent, right? Mm-hmm. So we began with Second Corinthians 5, where do not receive the grace of God in vain. I beg you, brothers, do not receive the grace of God in vain. That's pretty strong language, mm-hmm. it, and just that concept of we might miss out on the grace. And I think sometimes we think of grace, oh, let's receive the grace, let's just kind of open up, and all of a sudden the grace drops down from heaven. But corresponding to that grace involves self-discipline. Yes. So, Father, uh, uh, Father Lewis, I'll give you the last minute for that person who maybe has uh, undershot the target for how rigorous their Lent is, maybe gone a little too easy. Mm-hmm. What would you encourage them?
2: Well, first of all, to encourage those folks to pause and take stock. Am I really being challenged? Because you may not even recognize it. That it's going a little too easily. Because why? Because it's going a little too easily. Nothing is training you. And some people, when they give something up for Lent, well, I'll give up chocolate, but I'll take on vanilla. Yeah. And what did you really give up? The, the, se- the sense of sacrifice is gone, right? And so um, that's important to just, you know, that's maybe like a, a thing that can be done with the daily exam. And that can be an aspect of that. Let's just see where I am with my walk of God and, and make that part of the self discipline to check in each day, maybe a couple times a day. Am I really being stretched with this discipline and then and then find ways to make it richer, make it make it bigger or do more?
0: I like that. Father, Father Nagel, any closing comments on that?
1: No. Other than that, if, it, if you don't fail sometimes, maybe you should try more.
0: Nice. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not like, I, it's like when I coach the kids uh, playing basketball, I say, if you don't follow out, you're not trying. <laughs> so. All right. Thank you, fathers, for being with me today. Uh, God bless you all for listening. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.